Welcome back to The Craft. I'm Carter, and I'm here with my good friend, Colby. And today, we are talking about the artistic subject, which we are kind of taking, we're not kind of taking, we are directly taking this from Stephen Pressfield's framework that Colby's going to give us a little bit of an intro to, uh, and then we'll kind of go from there. Awesome. Yeah, I'm so excited, man. This is, so there's a book called The Artist's Journey, and we've talked about that in the past. You can go back and check out that episode, but Stephen Pressfield wrote this book and it ties in how the hero's journey is similar to, or how the artist's journey is similar to the hero's journey or the monomyth, that idea in literature. And so he's got this quote that stuck out to me in the book and I just wanted to do an episode on it. And really it's kind of turning into more than one episode, but it's a sort of framework or mental model for what are all the things that make up an artist. So let me just read it real quickly. Subject, voice, point of view, medium of expression, and style is an aspect of the single question, what is my gift? Which is itself another way of asking, who am I? So I know that's kind of a, it's it's a weird quote to kind of pull out of context, but the way that it's worded, but I think it's such a good question. Like the way that you can ask who am I as an artist is by looking at these different, five different things, subject, voice, point of view, medium of expression, and style. Some of them are super obvious, like medium of expression. It's like, okay, I'm a musician. Uh, but then subject, what we're going to talk about today is a little bit more, you know, like, hmm, what is my subject? And it's even he acknowledges in the book, most people don't sit down and think, okay, what's my subject? The subject is sort of this thing that you, this thread that weaves throughout the body of work of an artist. And so it's more in the shadows or the background, but it just keeps coming up. It's those themes and those ideas but that, that's what I think. What do you think subject is? So what was helpful for me this? was the excerpt that you had from the book about Martin Scorsese. And so Pressfield lists out a bunch of movies, Taxi Driver, Raging Bull, Goodfellas, Cape Fear, Gangs of New York, Shutter Island, Wolf of Wall Street. And then he says something like, did Martin Scorsese just sit down and ask himself, what is my subject? I doubt it. Which is, I mean, I think this is a really nice introduction to it because you can trace, like you said, those common themes, even if like the subject matter itself is changing. Like one is set in, I don't know, on an island, obviously, one set in New York, but there are common motifs, common themes, common interests that kind of work to bring a cohesion to the work. And so I don't think subject is subject matter. What do you think about that? I mean, like the subject matter is is the the actual tangible thing you're creating about, and then the subject is that I think that thread that weaves through through the art that's more vague or is more like a the word theme keeps coming to mind for me. Yeah, it's it's more intangible, whatever it is. But I think it's the sense of I mean, it's kind of related to style, I think. It's a sense of, okay, if you see a Scorsese film and you're familiar with his films, you've got this sense of, this is Scorsese. And so I think the subject sometimes can have some overlap with subject matter. So a lot of, for instance, Court McCarthy's novels are based in the American Southwest. So there is some overlap in subject matter, but... It's not exhaustively that. It can be something like a protagonist who's struggling 
to get out of debt. And we see that played out again. Or the protagonist that's got a tendency towards you name it, right? And we see that play out again. Or a greed or, you know, you name whatever the central concept or tension gets played out again and again. So I don't know if there's like a a distinct line between subject matter and subject because I'm trying to disentangle subject from style. I don't know if you have any thoughts on that. Yeah, well, I think... Because they might overlap. Maybe they overlap, but without trying to be too precise, I think that subject in the way that Pressfield's talking about it is like the the maybe it even gets into the purpose of why you create something but it's this it's the ideas that drive your art so i want to like get tangible for a second because it'll help me i'm pulling up spotify <laughs> i'm going to look at john bellion's page he's my favorite producer just looking at his popular release or looking at his albums here so translation through speakers the separation the definition the human condition glory sound prep Five albums. I just at a high level, like looking at the last two, Human Condition, you've got songs about New York, his kind of like upbringing, high school, overwhelming love, his wife, weight of the world. There's a lot of talk about anxiety. There's talk about just culture. And there's a kind of mixture definitely some faith in there. There's a mixture of different topics, I guess, but there's some different, some, some things that tie, tie together throughout there. Social issues, faith, family and legacy, grappling with the mistakes of the past, trying to be a better man. Just there's a number of different things inside of that body of work. I don't know. Does that help with this definition of subject? What do you think about that? Yeah, I like that we're turning towards the practical. And maybe we both kind of made some lists here. So maybe we can, let's just talk about those briefly, just like you did for uh, Bellion. Why don't you list off a couple, and then I'll list off a couple, and we'll see if we can get to a better understanding of what exactly subject is. Yeah, I I didn't take a lot of time on this, so I feel like I need to think through it live. But Another, I just put some of my favorite artists on here. Justin Bieber, I've gotten into him a lot more the past few years. And I think the main topics you can see in his music, obviously, I mean, he's a pop artist. And so I think love and romance are a pretty common pop theme. But then there's also the theme of faith throughout his work, uh, especially more recently, the past few years. And then there's um, I mean, that's honestly all I thought for that. It was pretty straightforward. It was like, those are the topics. Does he have thoughts outside of that? Of course. But it's like interesting to think, like one thing that comes up for me in this is just because every person has opinions and thoughts in every realm of life to some regard. Obviously, we don't all care about the same things to the same degree, but it's like you'll notice as you look through this list, as we list these different people, there's overlap between the artists, but then there's also some separation and some just like, oh, this artist doesn't talk about those things, you know? Like, this artist doesn't talk about sure certain sure. topics necessarily. They stay in a certain lane, um, just like podcasts will stay in a certain lane of what they talk about and what we talk about in this show versus what we talk about offline, you know? So it's it's interesting to see that just because you have an opinion on something doesn't mean that it has to fit into your work per se as a main Yeah, and I think you get grasped topic. by some of these subjects. 
I mean, Pressfield says, you were born with it. You'll discover it on your artist's journey. I think some of these are just artistic for maybe not lack of a better word, muses that you're just interested in and they just keep reappearing and you keep investigating mm-hmm. them and they lead to other things and and then you integrate those things. So I think in some ways it's this artistic curiosity that forms a constellation. And so some interests aren't in there, but the artistic, like you were saying, the artistic subject forms a constellation of interests maybe. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, no, I totally, I love that analogy. I think this is really well said, really well said. I'm going to switch to a music direct, I'm sorry, movie director here, Christopher Nolan. And I threw his name down. I don't like, you know, passionately follow his art or anything, but I love his movies. So I was like, you know, what, I'll throw it down. But yeah, so Christopher Nolan, he, I didn't write any notes down. I'm just thinking out loud. He tied his art really ties into futuristic ideas, mind bending, you know, technology and experiences like mystical or magical or science futuristic experiences. So it's very, I mean, futuristic is the first word that comes to mind, but it's very based in intensity, drama, almost dreamlike and of course i'm thinking of inception when i say that but even the the batman movies and uh what are i need to actually i should pull up his list of movies let's see and there's even dunkirk and is it 19 what's the other one all right sorry let me pull up his list here yes the dark knight interstellar tenet inception dunkirk oppenheimer the dark knight rises Memento, Batman Begins, The Prestige, Insomnia, Following. Mm-hmm. So that's from 1998 to up to 2023. I guess Oppenheimer's not out yet. I don't know if I'm saying that correctly, but these there's just there's definitely a darker theme to them. Overall, you can see there's a heaviness and also a lot of s- science and technology and futuristic things as well. I think it's helpful just to give these threads that we pick up in people's work. So, you know, I had Steinbeck down and he talks about human relationships with the land, with each other, talks about the humanity that's underneath politics, the downtrodden, whether it be the, you know, the Okies on the way to California or it'd be Mac and the boys who are um, downtrodden, but they're kind of just hanging around Cannery Row. Court McCarthy, philosophy-centered, fate, freedom, this tragic idea, the human condition, violence, sublimity, someone like Roger Scruton, the philosopher, beauty, culture, architecture. It's just interesting how quickly I was able to do that this morning, like just looking at this list of, okay, what are the things that capture the attention? So maybe that's, to kind of bring it back to the subject, your subject is that constellation of artistic interests. And I think it's constantly changing, right? Mm-hmm. You're constantly rearranging it. Uh, you're constantly drawing the lines differently. But oftentimes, it seems like we've got this fixation on a certain arrangement or a certain part of the the potential galaxy of things that you could be interested in. A North Star. <laughs> oh, nice. Yeah, I think there's something there. It's like you're... 
on our journey making more things, we're sort of, you know, maybe we're moving a little bit to the right, a little to the left, a little up, a little down, and we're just finding our path. And I don't think that Christopher Nolan, going back since we just read his whole list of movies, I don't think he knew what movie he'd be doing in 12 years, you know? But then with each one, you learn some new things and you change a little and you keep growing and it's like one thing leads to the next and then you look back and there is maybe hindsight is more 2020 there of seeing a thread of things. But I'm sure that there's definite intentionality to building a body of work as excellent as that too. You know, so I think just because, you know, that Pressfield quote says like, most people don't sit down and contemplate their subject. I don't think it means that we shouldn't, you know? Yeah. Like, I mean, Christopher Nolan's not going to do a rom-com with Matthew McConaughey. <laughs> exactly. He, he's not, he's not going to direct that. Yeah. And so I think there is some selectivity, which is interesting to think about too. Exactly. Yeah. That's kind of, that really fascinates me. Like, how do you, how do you get to that place where you can be like, easy? No, that's not me. And I know yeah. who I am. And that's really what it goes back to the first quote. Who am I? Yeah, I think this ties in well with one of the tensions that I wanted to talk about in this episode, which is the idea that you'll hear people give the advice to create what you know. So in the creative writing world, write what you know. You have a certain set of experiences and standpoints, write that. What's interesting is there are a bunch of really heavyweight writers. So from Kazu Ishiguro to Toni Morrison to Hemingway to Ursula Le Guin, who all vehemently disagree with this idea. So there's this great quote from Ishiguro who says, write about what you know is the most stupid thing I've ever, I've heard. Uh, it encourages people to write a dull autobiography. It's the reverse of firing the imagination and potential of writers. And again, this is talking about fiction. So creative nonfiction is going to be different. And we can talk about the differences in medium. But I just thought it was it was interesting that we've got this kind of broader, what's your subject going to be? It's probably going to be something you know. And here are these writers, you know, Toni Morrison teaching uh, her creative writing students at Princeton she said they've been told all their lives to write what they knew. And I always began the course by saying, don't pay attention to that. Mm. Uh, first, because you don't know anything. And second, because I don't want to hear about your true love, your mama and your papa and your friends, which is such a great quote. But it's this idea of where does the subject come from? And it's not necessarily just the encounters and experiences that you have. And I think for both writers, and maybe you could talk about this for musicians, this can be a temptation to just rely on things that you've experienced mm -hmm. or think like you're looking for something to, to write about and all you've got, I mean, maybe you don't have any massive event. Maybe you don't have any jaw dropping story or something like that. And so you end up writing what Ishiguro calls the dull autobiography. Would love to hear your thoughts on that. Yeah. I mean, you share I've heard the another version of this, which is just, if I always did what I was qualified to do at work, I would still be sweeping, you know, like, and no knock on doing that, that is valuable work. And that's a good thing. But like, if you never learn the next skill set, even if you continue to do that first thing, you basically life is constantly learning to do things you are not qualified for. You know, that's the whole idea. And I think 
it's kind of like with art, there's this fear of I, I can only create what I've already made before or what I've from what I've experienced. And, and that literally limits you to never be as good as as you could be. So I mean, if, even just thinking about, okay, I want to be, I want to have be more. I want my music to be as good as John Bellion's. Well, I've never made something as good as John Bellion. So I either I can't do it or I have to strive to do something I've never done before. I mean, that's the only answer is strive to do something you haven't done yet, you know? Yeah. And I think it just, it opens up the, it op- let's go back to the metaphor as we typically do. It opens up more potential stars that you can add to the constellation because mm-hmm. if it's not, a matter of your direct experience and your life memories, if that's not the only pull that you can draw from, then all of a sudden that I think that opens up so many different artistic possibilities. So I agree, right? The only way you're going to grow is by doing the thing that you haven't done. I think Picasso actually says something like that. He's like, I'm constantly doing what I can't do so I can learn how to do it. Some paraphrase of that sentiment idea. Right, right. Um, But it's also... You know, Jack London, for instance, he has a crazy pool of personal experience he could draw from. You know, he's an oyster pirate mm-hmm. at 14. He's on a seal hunting ship in Japan when he's 17. He's up in the Klondike looking for gold in his late teens and early 20s. He comes back and he writes, and he's got a massive personal catalog of crazy experiences and places. That might not be the case for you. <laughs> It's not the case for me. I've got things that I interact with day to day that I think are important and significant, like relationships I have and uh, places that I've lived. But I think there's a trap in trying to just use those or feel like you have to use those or you're not qualified to do anything else. Okay, so I agree, but I just, I feel like there's this other thing that we talk about sometimes that's been really encouraging to me, which is like, sometimes you need to step away from art and you need to just live life and you do need to get experiences and you need to go through things and you need to, to build that well or reservoir of experiences. So you've gone through these emotional experiences, you know, tangible ones in the world. You've seen nature, you've read books, you've been exposed to great art. So you know, what is great art? Like that's really important. We can't put that aside. Right. I mean, how would you respond to that? Yeah, for sure. I mean, I think experience like we've talked about will become, yeah, fodder or uh, fuel for the kind of creativity. But I think the thing that these fiction writers are trying to get at is the idea that we, we unlock a different kind of potential when we step outside of our experiences. So in the Toni Morrison quote, yeah, she says... Don't record or editorialize on some event that you've already lived through. I was amazed at how effective this was. They were always out of the box when they were given license to imagine something wholly outside of their existence. I thought it was a good training for them. And so here's Morrison's just absolute master saying there's something that gets unlocked when we really try to get outside of ourselves. And I mean, for mm-hmm. fiction, I think this is especially the case. And there can be a mm-hmm. case made for nonfiction is different, right? There's yeah. creative nonfiction. That's my question. And it's yeah. its own thing, right? It's going to be directly related to your experience. But there's something about, especially in literature, anytime you're writing a character, anytime you're trying to inhabit another mind, you're doing this act. 
I mean, you're pretending, you're trying to present the consciousness of somebody else, and you don't know what that's like, but that's the whole point, right? The whole point in in a lot of ways of literature is that you're getting to experience the position that's not your own. You're getting to inhabit the other and see that from a distance. And there's this involvement that's not about you that we just get drawn back to again and again. And so I think, I don't know how this translates to music, but there's, maybe it's trying something a different genre. I don't know. Maybe it can, maybe that's well, not where you land, but it's generative in a way. Hmm. Yeah. That's so interesting. Like for me, for me, what's coming to mind is maybe there's a lot of pressure when you're writing a song and I'm sure it's true with writing action, you know, nonfiction or whatever it is, even fiction, but there's a sense of fear in, and pressure whenever you're writing from personal experience for me personally, like, it's, it's vulnerable. It exposes parts of you that maybe you haven't talked about before, or even the ones that you have talked about. It just puts it in a very public form in a song that's going to always be out there, you know? And so it's like very vulnerable versus writing stories from the point, of, like writing fictional stories. Like I'm thinking of maybe in electronic music, I think that's probably really common just building, maybe it is from personal experiences, I can't say, but building these worlds in music, electronic music is very like fantastical and just the the themes are like love and, you know, just a lot of romance and breakups and heartache and and struggle in, in electronic music. And a lot of times it feels like everything's a little bit magical, a little bit like over the top, fan, fantasized in a way if that's the right word. And so you see sort of like, I could see that being a place where writing music and saying, I don't have to have an experience that's true. I can just make up something would be probably really free and creatively. Like I'm just going to make up a breakup song story. It's not my story. Or I'm going to make a song about love is not my story to make. I don't know. There's something interesting about the idea of like making up worlds and stories and different relationships and, and the freedom that you don't have to be able to say this is true and fit fit a true story into like the creative work, you know? Like if you need to tweak some words, you don't have to worry about being truthful to the original account. You know what I mean? Yeah. And so let, I think the, actually the Ursula Gwynn quote fits well with this. Uh, her response to this, write what you know, was to say, I think it's a good rule. I've written about imaginary countries and alien societies and dragons and wizards. I know these things. I know them better than anyone else could. And so she kind of takes it tongue in cheek, but it's the idea Mm -hmm. that, yeah, the imagination allows for you to try things that you wouldn't do and test things out. And it's just, I mean, it sounds kind of, I don't know, trite to say, but the imagination has got this deep playfulness and even some seriousness to think about different ways to approach life that aren't your own and try those out and see what happens when you put these different things together. Or or if you're going to do that electronic song, write it about something that you don't know anything about or you know very little about and and see what happens. And so I don't, you know, I think it's compelling in some ways. And in some ways, right, I think you have to have some sort of knowledge, 
But it's a weird interplay mm-hmm. between knowledge and the imagination. And I think that's kind of at a, I mean, that's a cross point that's very central, I think, to the craft, this podcast as a whole, the artistic pursuit. Somehow the imagination combines with knowledge. And I think you could go wrong either way. You can get really cerebral with it where you, you're very much suppressing this playfulness, this experimentation, this risk taking, I think is one that you use there. Or, right, you can kind of put that down and suppress it and become too scattered. And there's not enough substance and there's not enough knowledge that's being brought to the imagination. So I don't know. Those two things in my mind yeah. are kind of in tandem. Mm, they're actually that literally ties into this book I've got right here. So I've been reading this book, Build by Tony Fidel, an unorthodox guide to making things worth making. It's a great book. Anyone interested in just like making products or making starting companies or whatever that it's kind of businessy, but he also made the first iPod. So there's just some interesting stories in there. And so, yeah, there's this idea in the story in a chapter called why storytelling. And he says, in storytelling, this is for business context, but in storytelling, you need information or you need facts and you need emotions. The facts, without without the facts, you just have kind of this, you know, feely thing that doesn't have any substance to it. And so people are like, oh, okay, I feel good, but this doesn't, this isn't real. And then if you just have a bunch of facts, but you have no emotion, people, in this case, it's like people won't buy, they won't care. You didn't get them to act or to share that song with their friend or to actually talk about you to someone else because there's no there's no feeling to it. And he said, but interestingly, sometimes it's going to be the fact that you share that makes someone feel emotional. And sometimes it's going to be the emotion that you share that's kind of a fact and is that tangible cerebral piece that you talked about. So it's interesting that that's sort of like two-piece idea like maybe in art there's the content and this like actual substance of like is this writing telling me something that's that's true or interesting or valuable and then there's the like how does it make me feel totally that's pretty cool i think this i mean that maps on perfect to i mean aristotle's understanding of rhetoric with pathos being the use of emotion and logos being the use of fact and logic and one of the things that i tell my students when i teach that those concepts You've got events in life and pretty much all sorts of <laughs> all sorts of moments of rhetoric that you have to have both of them. And so the example that I'll often yeah. use is if I was a reporter trying to communicate, let's say, the Vietnam War, well, on one hand, I can give the facts that are important, the casualties, the places, the movements, what's happening on the ground. But if it was just the facts, that wouldn't be very persuasive. I would miss something. I also need to recount the personal experiences of people who were there, right? And so the emotion in this case, if I was going to create a piece of rhetoric, let's say an anti-war rhetoric or, or something like that, right, you would need to use, and this is what Aristotle's attuned to, you would need to use emotion, not in a misleading way, but in order to encompass and characterize and describe the event fully because to ignore emotion would be to basically reduce your picture but to ignore the facts would also be to reduce the picture and so i think it's like 
you've got to combine those. And how you combine them seems to be the challenge for the artist and the challenge for the producer and the challenge for the marketer. I mean, you kind of name it. There's a there's a tension there, but the tension I think propels us forward in a way. So the million dollar question in this episode is what is your artistic subject? Do you feel like you're starting to trace one? Because I mean we're both very I feel like relatively young and early in in the pursuit. So do you feel like you have some themes? I I think we maybe talked about this for like two or three minutes on another episode. Yeah. Why does this sound familiar? (laughs) I think, (laughs) I think we did talk about this. I think, yeah, maybe we did, but maybe not everyone's heard. So we'll just, let's do it again. (laughs) Sure. Cause I see some themes for sure. But what do you think they are? Yeah. I mean, I think I'm, it just depends on, I mean, it just depends on what genre of work I think I'm I'm engaging. So like scholarly, I'm I'm really interested mm-hmm. in ideas of ontology, which is kind of how we think about being, of aesthetics, of beauty, of how those go together. So thinkers like Heidegger and William Desmond and uh, which I'm really enjoying uh, William Desmond's kind of new on on the slate about dwelling, about the environment, about our connection to place and people and morality, uh, being outdoors, fishing. Those, oh, I made a giant switch. I moved from scholarly to to more nonfiction (laughs) things pretty quickly there. But that shows you how closely I think they're combined in my mind. And I love the places that they can kind of bleed over. But that's where I feel myself kind of starting to root down. And maybe that's another metaphor we can throw at people. Like you start to put in some roots and then when you find a spot that's it starts going down and less going out. What about you? No, I need to think about that. Yeah. Oh man. It's like on the one hand, like think talking about this, if I'm just thinking music, it's like I haven't made enough music to know. Cause what's interesting is like as a producer, it's my job to help other people figure out their yeah, subject. That's interesting. You know? So it's well, which to be fair, I don't always participate. I actually very pretty rarely participate in the songwriting aspect and that's really where the subject comes out. What oh, I participate in is more leading like which how does this fit into a genre or how does this break rules of a genre? You know, so if you want to do a specific hip hop track, okay, what style is that? What maybe there's a subgenre to fit into or maybe there's just I mean typically this just is like what two or three songs do you want to sound like and whatever that wherever that leads, you know, whenever you're working on a project. Yeah. That's often like practically how it happens, but. And I feel like you've got, you've got like a specific subgenre and genre that you stay into. I mean, I could guess some of those, but what what were you going to say? Yeah, but that's, I, well, it's funny because I haven't made a lot of music this year for myself. Actually, very little, if not in, if any, uh, really. So it's like the last piece of work that I put out was the, self-titled EP Shem and that was electronic very heavily influenced and inspired by Odessa and a bunch of other kind of like electronic artists that I was listening to at the time like there's one called Petite Biscuit I mean I've always really loved Skrillex that's different that's like dubstep more so although some of his stuff is more general there's electronic I don't even have a good grip on all the subgenres and stuff there's like there's some crazy amount of subgenres like down tempo and all these other things but essentially 
electronic is, but that's really going up, going back to this framework. It's like, that's more of the genre. So that kind of fits into style more so than subject, you know, like that's why I say, I don't feel like I've yeah, that makes songs sense. to even figure out what is the subject? Like what's the theme there was. And even the songs that project only had a, lyrics on a couple songs. There's some themes of faith, some themes of just interest in nature, themes of, uh, what else? I There's also just other songs I put out. There's been romance and I have put out, like I put out one song that's more like R&B. So that going back to the style, it's more definitely more heavily influenced by R&B. That's when I was listening to uh, like Daniel Caesar yeah. a lot, trying to sound like him. He's amazing. And so all that to say, I think there's just, it's like, coming across this whole quote about subject, voice, point of view, medium, and style was like, hmm, I, I almost, I just want to reflect on that and really have more clarity of around music. Like what are the things in music that I want to lean into? Because even talking to someone this week, they were saying, he was like, you know, you should kind of ask yourself like next year, we were talking about planning the next year. What do you want to work on in 2023? So like, you should ask yourself, you know, what do you want to work on? Like, what do you enjoy? Because doing that kind of work the work that you do when you don't have to is what you, what kind of work you're going to attract later, you know? So the kind of music that you'll, you'll work on. Yeah. That so make, I thought that was really cool. I think, yeah, that makes a lot of sense. And I think that's probably a good place to land the plane because it kind of gets mm-hmm. to an application that we typically have, which is just be mindful that you're slowly creating a thread that's going to trace and you might have big divergences from that but i don't think it's detrimental to have a mind towards your subject matter because i you know there's that way you can like we mentioned before with taste you can start developing your taste within that subject and learn what's been done and that's going to help you and i think it can also just give you a better sense of direction so for maybe for application, I'm thinking some mindfulness of your subject. I mean, did you have something else for application in mind? No, I think that's it. Just asking yourself what subjects you think you're drawn to and then just doing what we're doing on this podcast and also asking, okay, who are my favorite artists? And then that's, that that's is a, great a really one. good way to then just Google their name, like look through their body of work. And then you can just start to just try to trace even in just the art of a lot of these things. If it's book covers or movie covers or album covers, it's like you start to see like, hmm, there's like a, okay, what's the theme? And sometimes that can suck you into like a genre focus, which sure. obviously it's like with Christopher Nolan, it's like all, you know, sci-fi and action adventure. But it's like there's something deeper and looking for that thread, I think is cool. The John Mayer cover art. Hmm. breakdown is that going to be an episode we could totally do that <laughs> breaking down our favorite album yeah we need to do start the youtube channel first so we can do like visuals disclosure i sent colby a unreleased john mayer performance today that oh, i just ran dude, across I on youtube that. i need to listen yeah to you're it. gonna have to listen to that he's <laughs> he's such an interesting performer but we are we're scattering here at the end but i think it's a great word to end on go out who who are you admiring what is their subject? And then kind of let that orientate you a little bit. Love it. So before we head out here, let's do a quick quote of the week. Do you have something for us today? I do. This is from Ernest Hemingway. 
you throw it all away and invent from what you know. I should have said that sooner. That's all there is to writing. So this is another version of writing what you know, but not quite. You invent from what you know. So maybe that is a nice formulation for us. You start there, but you just don't end there. Love it. Send on that. That was great. Hey, thanks for listening to The Craft with Carter and Colby, where we share what we're learning about the creative process. If you're a writer, music producer, marketer, filmmaker, photographer, or you just love creativity, then this show is for you. Our cover art was designed by Elizabeth Newell. You can learn more about her work at elizabethnewelldesign.com. That's Elizabeth, N-E-W-E-L-L, design.com. And you can follow her on Instagram at elizabethisadesigner. If you like the show, there's three things you can do to help us out. First, subscribe so you learn when we post new episodes. Second, send the link to one of your friends who you think would enjoy the show. Uh, Really, word of mouth is going to be the the number one way we grow the show in any way. And three, if you have a topic you want us to cover or feedback about how we can improve the show or comments on what we've said, you can respond to heycraftpodcast at gmail.com. H-E-Y-C-R-A-F-T podcast at gmail.com. Thanks for listening and we'll see you next time.